Good morning. My name is Janice Lilly, and this morning's scripture reading is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. You can find it on page 833 in the Pew Bible in front of you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out that he was of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is God's word. Good morning. It's good to be together. Uh, and I'd like to, is Kira back there? Yes, dismiss uh, our kids, four years old through kindergarten. We love you guys. And again, I would just reiterate what Benjamin said earlier about our kids who are in the service, as well as anybody who wants to draw a picture uh, about uh, this sermon in particular. I, I, I'd love to think about our brick wall out there as our church family refrigerator, maybe. Uh, we won't have magnets up there because they won't work, but uh, we're going to have those pictured display, which we're going to love and, and uh, excited about. So in World War II, a Japanese lieutenant named Hiru Onoda, I think I'm getting his name right, was separated from his troop while in one of the islands of the Philippines. He hid deep in the jungle on the island of Lubang, and he remained hidden in the jungle until the war was over. However, being isolated in the jungle by himself, he didn't hear word of the end of the war. And even when he did hear word, he didn't believe it. Though leaflets that declared the war was over was, were dropped from the sky down to him, Lieutenant Onoda was convinced that he was being manipulated. He was dug in like a tick in the jungle. He told one news outlet about these leaflets. The leaflets they dropped were filled with mistakes. So I judge it was a plot by the Americans. That was maybe a joke. So he remained at his post in uniform, prepared for war for nearly three decades. It wasn't until 1974 when his personal commander came to the island to relieve him of his post that he surrendered. 
Onoda was unwavering in his vow to fight for his nation, stubborn enough to persevere in the face of dire circumstances. His honor was on the line. Yet he had tightened his grip on his own reality to the extent that even though good news came, he rejected it. This good news held in it a promise of freedom, peace, but it also required him to admit defeat, to acknowledge that he was wrong. And we are not so unlike Lieutenant Onoda. We have trouble waving our white flag of surrender in a world of war and believing in a word that is foreign to us. Our pride is on the line. We resist facing our wrong, even when there is a promise of welcome on the other side. We too are stubborn. And yet, even while we often reject the truth, we long for it. We ache for a way out of the jungle that we're living in, the jungle of our own sin and suffering. But, like Onoda's personal commander who came into his world to convince him of the truth. We need someone to draw near and speak a good news word. And the Gospel of John testifies to that very thing. So before we jump into John 1, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for making yourself known to us that we don't have to wonder about who you are and what you're like. Show us your glory this morning. Show us your glory for our good. Have your way with us. We are here and we open up our hands to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Open up your Bibles if you haven't done so already to John 1. We're going to be in John 1 verses 1 to 18, and some have considered this passage, verses 1 to 18, as the prologue of John's gospel. Maybe we could call it the overture, a foretaste of what is to come in the rest of the book. And we spent the whole season of Advent, five sermons going through this text, and here I am given only one. So I'm going to do the best I can here. Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. We might expect that John would tell us here in the first couple verses of his gospel about a young virgin named Mary or a lowly stable with cattle lowing and a newborn baby dwelling in a manger. But instead, John catapults us back, catapults us up into the dwelling place of God at the beginning of all things. In the beginning. Sounds a whole lot like the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In that beginning, this word 
both dwelled with God and was himself God. He was the channel through which everything came into being. All matter, all life, all flesh, all men and women. I mean, think about it for a moment. What was the first thing that God did in Genesis 1? He spoke. He sent out his word. In verse 3 of Genesis 1, we read, And the Lord said, Let there be light. He sent out his word, and light came out of darkness. All through Genesis 1, what does God do? He speaks. He sends out his word and stars shine, water fills the seas, mountains rise up, gardens grow, birds soar, and from the dust, God makes man and woman, breathing his life into them with a word. John 1 verse 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. At the beginning of everything, the word of God brought light to a dark and formless world. And from then until now, his light remains. And the darkness has not overcome it, or comprehended it, or surrounded it, and it never will. And then, if we move down to verse 14, we read maybe one of the most shocking and glorious verses in the whole Bible. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. The word of God who was with God in the beginning and was himself God became flesh and blood. This is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word who dwelled with God in the beginning. He is God. And in Jesus Christ, God has come down to dwell among us. And he's not just come to dwell among us. He has united himself with our very flesh, our humanity, our frailty. He has become one with us. He's become one of us. And notice the word became here. It does not say that the word embraced flesh or even that the word inhabited flesh. The word became flesh. God became a man with irises, pupils, and a set of fingernails. He became a man with two feet, lungs, and a rib cage. He became a man with two ears and a voice box with which he spoke audible words of wisdom, grace, and truth. 
However, we must also say that even when he grew tired, walking from town to town, he remained the God of gods through whom all things were made. Jesus was not just another sage or the head of another man-made religion. He was not, as one commentator puts it, a man among men. And John quickly reinforces that point by explaining the role of a man named John the Baptist. We read in verses 6 to 8, read with me. There was a man right there. We're hearing about the word of God, Jesus, the only son from the Father. And here we hear about a man. A man sent from God whose name was John. John the Baptist, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And in verse 15, we read similar sentiments. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. Jesus is the maker of heaven and earth, and he has come to dwell among us. The word that John used there for dwell means tabernacle or tent. In Jesus, God tabernacled among us. In other words, he set up camp in our midst. He moved into town, moved into the neighborhood. He took up residence among us. And if you were here with us while we walked through the book of Exodus, which you just finished, We recently heard a lot about the tabernacle. You will remember that God gave the people lots of instructions to build a tabernacle, a glorious tent that he might dwell with them in it. And he did. And yet in the tabernacle in Exodus and later in the temple in Jerusalem, God dwelled with his people and yet he did so in a limited fashion. God dwelled behind a curtain in the Holy of Holies, where, as Benjamin told us just a few weeks ago, only the high priest could venture in once a year. But now in Jesus Christ, God has drawn near, tabernacling himself among us. Jesus has a face, proving to us that God has not abandoned us but pursues us, chases us down all the way into the dust that he was made in. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, verse 14. This glory, this glory of Jesus is the glory of God. John says in verse 18, jumping down to the last verse of this passage. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, namely Jesus, he has made him known. That term, made him known, means to explain. Jesus is the explanation of God. We don't need to wonder about who lives behind the curtain of the cosmos. Jesus has 
torn the veil to reveal the heart of God for the world. This is the gospel. The gospel is the word that became flesh. The gospel is Jesus Christ himself, and we're going to see that as we trek through the book of John. And yet he wasn't good news to everyone. Quite the contrary. We read in verses 9 to 11. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. God drew near to his own people, and they ran him out of town. They didn't want him. Not unlike Lieutenant Onoda, who ignored the news of peace because he named it a fraud. God's people rejected him as a fake. The audacity of his claims were utter blasphemy to them. His claims, as he says later in John 10, I and the Father are one, he says. What do you make of Jesus Christ? The Word made flesh. Do you believe that he, Jesus of Nazareth, who lived over 2,000 years ago, was in fact God in the flesh? He claimed to be so. We read him to be so in the Gospel of John here in these verses. Do you believe him? And the thing about a claim like this is that it forces us to respond. We can't be on the fence about him. He cannot be ignored. C.S. Lewis, in his very famous quote from his book, Mere Christianity, says this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. In this way, Jesus divides. We will believe Jesus or we won't. And even as Christians, in any given day, we are always living, abiding in one of those two realities. That God actually is the one who became flesh in Jesus, 
or he's something else. We will bow before him or we will stiffen our necks in prideful opposition. How do you respond to him? Hear this. In all of his glory, Jesus presents himself to you today. He has made himself available to you. Drawn near to you, to dwell with you, to set up camp in your life. To shine the light of his glory upon you, if you will let him. If Jesus has shown us the glory of God, well, what is this glory like? What is this magnificent beauty like? The tail end of verse 14 tells us, and we're going to camp out there for a moment, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. In verses 1 to 5, John has given us a glimpse into the identity of Jesus, and here he invites us to see the character of Jesus what he is most fundamentally like. And John, a man who knew Jesus intimately, spent years pondering his life, describes Jesus as full of two things, grace and truth. He is full of truth. Truth is a light that shines into the dark places of our hearts. Jesus doesn't come to tell us that we're all right, that we're okay as we are. He comes to show us the truth that without him, we are not okay. Far from it. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And even as we are in Christ, following Jesus, we fall short. He shines the light of his holy truth into the darkest places of our hearts to confront and come against our rebellion against God. Jesus comes to say no to my sin, my apathy, my lack of love, and he comes against your passive drifting, your hidden contempt, your stubborn worry. Jesus disrupts our lives with his truth. And as the king of kings, as the word of God that made everything, he has the right to do so. What needs to be brought into the light in your life today? Why not open up yourself to his gaze this morning? Maybe you're like Lieutenant Anoda, who in the darkness of the jungle grew suspicious of the truth that came out from outside his reality, a truth that exposed his wrong. Maybe it costs you too much to invite the light of Jesus to shine and expose you. But Jesus is not just full of truth. He's full of truth and grace. His light, his truth is good. His truth is, in fact, a grace. He exposes that he might give to us 
And he cannot give unless he exposes. John says in verses 16 to 17, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is brimming over with kindness for the undeserving. Jesus has drawn near to us, not to punish us, but to heal, to redeem, to forgive, to cleanse. He comes not with heartless critiques designed to ridicule us into submission, but with true words of life and an unearned welcome into his heart. He delights to receive sinners. It's why he came. We need both truth and grace. Truth without grace is horrifying. But grace without truth is useless. Jesus gives us both. And in this way, he's like a good doctor who both diagnoses your sickness and treats you for it. How ill of a doctor would he be if all he did was diagnose our problem and send us on our way? Or gave us a list of things to do that would never solve our problem? Or how poor of a doctor would he be if he had a wonderful bedside manner, but he had no clue of what was wrong with us? Or even worse, he knew what was wrong and he didn't tell us. Jesus both diagnoses our fallen condition, calls us out of the sins that plague us, and draws near to redeem us. He shows this most radiantly at the cross. Jesus shows his grace and truth by yielding himself to his enemies. We already read that his people did not receive him. But it wasn't just that his own people didn't receive him. They sought to snuff him out, to snuff out the word of God. But in that rebellion, in their very rebellion, they only amplified the glory of the word. Fulfilled its purpose on the cross. Jesus shows us grace and truth. He shows us what our sin costs, the severity of it. And at the same time, he shows us how far God is willing to go to save us from sin and death. We've heard already that the word became flesh and on the cross, the word became sin. We read in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He became the very thing that he comes to confront. And Jesus, the word made flesh, did not remain doomed to dust, right? But rose from the grave and reigns now still embodied, full of grace, proving to us that he's legit, that he truly is the son of God. 
We often would rather have his grace without his truth. We want the resurrection without the cross. We want glory without suffering. We want to feel better about ourselves without having to endure the pain of being exposed for who we really are. And yet, who we really are is the person that God wants to love. To believe in Jesus is to receive both. To take him in as the God-man who is worthy to command us and desire desires to cure us. And this true belief comes with a promise. We read in verses 12 to 13. Read with me. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All who take Jesus at his word are welcomed into the family of God. Consider the scandalous grace of becoming a son or daughter of the one who made it all. We who have profaned the name of God are invited into his family, given a seat at his table, not as a guest, but as one of his beloved children. In Christ, we who believe receive a new name. We are not orphans anymore or slaves, but sons and daughters. We have a new identity that bears with it the status and the privileges of being God's son or daughter. Jesus shows us those privileges. Jesus is the only son from the Father. And in verse 18, we we get a picture into the relationship of the Son and the Father. And we hear that John writes that Jesus is at the Father's side. which, Which can be translated something like in the bosom of the Father. At the Father's chest. He dwells there. Jesus dwells there in the Father's heart forever. And all those who believe and receive him are caught up into that same intimate fellowship of the Father and the Son by the Spirit of God. To close, hear these words of John in his first epistle. Speaking of this very thing, this is 1 John chapter 3, first three verses. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. If you are in Christ, you have the love of the maker of heaven and earth who knows you better than you know yourself. 
Surrender your pride today. Your resistance to this wonderful news. You don't need to work your way into the family. And you don't need to fear of being cast out. For those of us who love Christ, we will see him. We will see the word of God. Jesus Christ. And when we do, we will be made like him. And so until then, we make it our end, our aim to live like we belong to him. To live like we're actually sons and daughters. To please him. That we might be a witness with John the Baptist to the glory of his grace. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for coming down. Mystery of mysteries, Lord. Help us to reckon with the reality of your pursuit, your truth, your grace. Help us to believe. Help us to receive, to submit to your lordship and to receive the welcome into your family. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.